You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to the Too Many Men podcast. I'm Sarah Sivian from The Athletic, and along with my colleague Shana Goldman and Allison Lucan of the Seattle Kraken, we're here to talk about all levels of hockey and honestly just break down what's on our minds about pretty much anything. We also try to smile more, and Allison wants me to come up with some sort of transition that's wittier than come along for the ride, but you can come along for the ride. <laughs> also think she would hire us as assistants, so I would think that would be really fucking fun. Yeah, nepotism, let's go. <laughs> let's go. To when it works for us, we'll friends. take it. Yeah, of course. It, it would, how very NHL of us. We would fit right in. <laughs> exactly. We're just like the men. Who knew? The old girls club. Hey everybody, I'm Allison Lucan. Welcome back to Too Many Men. As always, I am joined by the flip-switching, game-reporting, <laughs> Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. You know what? I didn't flinch, neither did Rod during that post-game interview. Sometimes you randomly find the confidence of a mediocre white man <laughs> And of course, we have the ever hair color changing, ever creative, constantly writing and analyzing and gifting the beautiful Shana Goldman. Shana, say hi. Hi, what's gifting? It's what moving pictures are, Shana. <laughs> Never heard of them. Mm, interesting. I'll broaden your horizons <laughs> later. All right. <laughs> well, friends, we are so glad to be back with you. Um, a lot has happened since we talked last. And as we mentioned, we're going to try and come to you after kind of each uh, round of games here in round two. And there are four games to break down from the start of round two of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. We started off with a match that I was so excited to watch. And by the end of it, I just wanted it to be over. <laughs> that was game one, Tampa Bay at Florida. It was not the pace I expected. It was not the kind of game I expected from Florida. The crowd really wasn't into it to kind of try and help pull their team along. Shayna, what did you see in game one of Tampa, Florida, where Tampa comes away with the first win of the series? I don't know if I've ever seen a full arena be so quiet. I know the Panthers didn't want to overlap with the Miami Heat, and they did because of the way the options worked with the TV networks. But like that was that was such a dead crowd and that was a series we know was such a banger last year. So that was disappointment number one. And we saw the Panthers be a very good team in the first period and then nothing. I mean, it was it was it was, it was I, I was so disappointed. And, you know, you could look at it and say like Vasilevsky was very good. He was he was the difference maker, the lightning knee that they got in game seven around one. And the Panthers power play is uh, not powerful. It's something. It's, it's not, not powerful. powerful. <laughs> it's not powerful. Um, so it just was, it was so disappointing. Like I, I, I said it to you. It's like, I'm like, I don't like to like, when I watch games, I just like watch them. I open TikTok like three times on my phone during the game and be like, stop, plays going on. Like, stop. Like you're watching a game right now. There's no reason for this. That's how bored I was. Well, that explains the, that explains the crowd. Like I do <laughs> think I would be bored in that crowd too. I don't really blame them. They need a little more Kodak black. Um, <laughs> 
I think the Panthers, what? They were zero for 20 in the first round on the power play. And what were they? Game one, zero oh, for, for three. four. Three, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. That's not good. I'm not an expert, but it's not good. Well, and for a team that is their part of their MO is this offensive juggernaut, right? Like, if you are not scoring on the power play, like, I just – it. And we were talking about this too. I mean, there have been some changes in terms of personnel, but it's also not significant enough that you would think it would disrupt in terms of these players. Shayna, walk us through some of the changes they made to the power play, just kind of leading up to the playoffs and then in the playoffs themselves. Yeah, so they were going with Aaron Eckblad as the power play quarterback, and when he got hurt, it kind of coincided with the deadline. He got hurt, what, three days before the deadline? So when Claude Giroux came in, <clears throat> they could easily slot him onto power play one and just roll with five forwards. So they had, you know, Duclair, Reinhardt, Huberdeau, Barkov, and Giroux. And what was nice was, you know, Barkov's a selkie caliber player. He can, you know, man the blue line no problem. He was really good at it. But then Giroux came in and could take face off, so Barkov had more time to get back. But it did take a couple tweaks, like, in season initially. Like, it took them, I think the first game, Mackenzie Wieger did join the first unit because they weren't clicking, and then the next game they rolled back with the five. But you could see, like, they were trying to figure out, like, should Huberto be on the left? Should Drew be on the left? Who should play the slot? And figuring out things like that. So I think it works out now. Like, Huberto's on the left, Drew's in the slot, Duclair was on the right, Reinhardt the net front, and Barkoff at the point, if I remember correctly. But, like, it did take some adjustments. And then come the playoffs, Ekblad was back, so he went back to his rightful place. But the problem was now you had four, you know, another combination of five players who had never played together. Like, Drew had never played with Ekblad on the same unit, and now you're taking off a forward. I think it was Duclair who got taken off the unit, who didn't have the best round one anyway. So during round one, you did see that was the unit they went with. Then they tried the five forwards again, and they're still trying to make adjustments. But it does feel like maybe they could, sh- you know, shift things around within the adjustments, like making sure there's a righty in the left circle and vice versa. And um, I would like to see Carter Verhage on that top unit because he has been their MVP. So when you look at a player like Duclair kind of struggling, maybe that's a switch you could make. Uh, no offense to Duclair. I mean, it's just that Verhage's been that good. And, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not good. They don't, they don't have the pop they need. Shayna blasts you, Claire. More at 11. <laughs> no Shayna and John Tortorella. Um, <laughs> this is the danger of making too many changes. And also, like, even when you acquire someone like Claude Drew, at the, like, you should be doing that. But at the same time, like, there's always a risk that things aren't going to be as flowy. Flowy, technical term. And Shayna and John Tortorella both hate Anthony Duclair. We've yeah, got it here for us. Hate him. <laughs> Sarah, did, I, did you see, what, do you, what are we thinking of Bob? We talked about him last yeah. round. Are, are we, what are we seeing, if anything? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like like we said last round, I'm not impressed. It's not his fault he's, they're losing, especially when Tampa gets power play goals. It's like when you see Kucherov's pass, like who's going to stop that? But what a pass. I I don't think it's his fault, but he's making a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. I'll keep going back to that. So it's going to be interesting because there are people who put a lot of stake in, you know, obviously defending home ice. It sure didn't feel like home ice to Florida like we talked about, but they did drop the first one at home. So it changes up um, the definition of home ice advantage for this series. So that'll be something to watch. So after that game, it was a little hard to get the energy up for the second game of round two, but that game was a little bit more interesting, and that was St. Louis at Colorado. And other than Jordan Bennington, boy, did Colorado just control every facet of that game. Sarah, what was your takeaway from 
the first game coming out of the Western Conference round two play. Yeah, I guess Rangoon wants to weigh in here. Um, she thinks that Biddington is Biddington Ng, and that if if that's any if he has returned to 2019 form at all, then the Avalanche actually do have something to worry about. Like that, my biggest takeaway was I expected Colorado to come out like that. Um, they couldn't get past him. It took a long time, and he kind of stole the show for me there. I mean. Good teams end up winning those games, and that's what the Avs did nevertheless. But I am very curious about the Bennington um, byline storyline now. (laughs) Well, and, I mean, Colorado, it was kind of shocking to me that they had – Bennington aside, just looking at their talent in a vacuum, it was surprising to me that they did have so many challenges scoring. Shayna, what did you see coming from Colorado? Were they at the level they needed to be, and this was a Bennington tour de force, or are there tweaks that you think Colorado could make to their game? I think that they, like, the player that didn't stand out to me was Kale McCarr, which is, like, the first time I'm saying that ever in a game, but it was fine because everyone else did. Like, Nassim Kadri had 12 shot attempts, I think, and uh, shots were, like, 12-1 with him on the ice. And players that I didn't expect to step up did. Like, Eric Johnson, I don't think there was a single scoring chance against while he was on the ice. Him and Byron were so good together. And Gerard with Manson was the pairing. Like, they actually looked like the pairing that management wanted them to look like at the deadline. Because there's been a lot of talk about, like, can someone small like Gerard handle the playoffs? So that definitely worked for them. But, yeah, I think the second period, they were just incredible. The way they whipped the puck around. You could see every time they break out of their own zone, you're just, like, in awe of what Colorado can do. The speed, the skill. Some of the plays that they make, they literally look like globetrotters out there. You know, like the back passes and everything, and they make it work. The third period, it didn't click as much for them. It looked like St. Louis did a better job of, like, getting their sticks in the right position to just kind of, like, deflect shots up. Even if they really weren't creating anything, they were just stopping Colorado. So, like, if St. Louis is going to have a chance, they have to figure out how to not just stop Colorado, but stop Colorado and generating stuff on their own end, which they weren't doing. So, like, there was good and bad, but, like, Colorado has to finish, and they did hit the post a lot. It wasn't just Bennington. It was the post. And, yeah, Bennington was very good. Do I think he can sustain that level if Colorado's going to come this hard every game? No. Do I think the Blues can sustain this level of chasing the avalanche around the ice? No. But I give them credit for keeping the score as close as it was. And when I say give them credit, I mean Bennington. Gold star. Gold, gold. St. Louis gets a gold star. Yeah. See, we're not that mean to you, tried. fans. You, you tried. tried. <laughs> um, no, but Holton, did you guys see in the third period? I think it was like Kadri hit Justin Falk around the boards. I literally held my breath because I'm sitting here. I want to see Kadri do well. I really do like him as a player, and I do think that there is like it's not just a narrative. Like he has to. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt at this point. But like. I, I, he was playing so well offensively and he wasn't finishing that I'm like, please, please channel this the right way moving forward. Like, I want to see him do well. Our problem children trying to behave. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them all. Every series had one. Sarah, in your opinion, if you had to pick right now, who comes out of game two with the win? Is it the Avalanche or the St. Louis Binningtons? No. Um, <laughs> You're Avalanche. so quick on this stuff. I think... I think they don't sweep. I think the Blues win one game, maybe two, but I think Avalanche win tomorrow. It was definitely a today. strong whatever day. Days yeah. are, days are optional. What time days is it? I don't know. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so yes, so Colorado looks really strong. Again, as I keep saying, they were the team I picked. So we'll see if St. Louis can make some necessary adjustments. 
Well, after an opening to round two that wasn't commanding of excitement, boy, did night <laughs> two deliver. There was some craziness. And the first one is the Battle of Too Many Men. We've had the Battle of Florida. Now we have the Battle of Too Many Men. And my goodness gracious, this game did not go the way I expected. The Rangers controlled play for the first 40 minutes. It was the third period that brought it home for Carolina. Otherwise, I don't even know how they could have come back if they lost that game one in the way that they would have if they played their final, the third, the way they played the first and the second. Sarah, you were there. You were live. Tell us what you saw. Tell us what concerned you about Carolina. Tell, tell us what impressed you about their winning after all of that. I've never really seen a team go from what they were doing to what they did in the third. Like, that stands out. And I know people in my comments are saying, oh, yeah, but the first and the second. And I know, like, that was really bad and concerning. But I think I'm more impressed than I am concerned about how they ended up getting it together. And they said in between the second and third periods, they were in the locker room, like, very objective about what they needed to be very matter of fact and some of the younger kids were stepping up and saying things too like nobody's screaming at each other but they're just saying this is what we need to do to get better we are confident we can do it and then they do it and I thought Sebastian Ajo ringing the post and then 24 seconds later scoring was very he has had a rough playoffs for the past few games so I think it was really important for him and for the team around him to see that like not only did he score a goal but he scored a goal with two minutes left to tie it up and it was on the second effort like maybe third effort honestly because it was own rebound after his own miss so I think the resiliency the no quit in Carolina no quit in Rollywood was impressive but they can't come out flat like that again but I do Shana what do you think I do want to give credit for the Rangers for kind of beating the Canes at their own game and pushing the defensemen to the perimeter knowing they can score yeah that's really impressive for them because that's something like they haven't done but it is interesting too like the Rangers in game one against Pittsburgh came out with a really strong first period and it wasn't so much as they were generating a ton but they were controlling play a lot and they were using their physical strengths to their advantage something that like it seemed like this was what it was all about a year ago when the Rangers like went batshit crazy and did everything that they did. This is how they wanted to get harder to play against. And like they legitimately did it in that first period and then fell apart the second and third. So the biggest thing for them is sustaining that. So when they not only came out in the first period looking as strong as they did against Carolina and then up their game in the second, they really limited them. They outcoursed the Canes through two and they had more quality shots and really protected the middle of the ice, which is something this team has not done very well. They were better after the deadline, but we all saw it fall apart in round one. Like, that was impressive, but they still cannot sustain it for 60 minutes. And I do think that's a problem. Like, if you're going to contend, it's not that you have to play a full 60 minutes every single night necessarily. We know, you know, hockey teams, even the best have minutes where they kind of like fall apart or fall asleep. But that was really tough for them. And I think a big difference was how the Hurricanes adapted. This is going to be like a really big thing. We're going to talk about the matchup game time. We're going to talk about how like... Uh, Jordan Stahl goes up against Mika Zibanejad. We know that. We're going to talk about things like Aho and the Panarin line or Slavin and how he handles Panarin too. But we need to talk about like the coaching difference here because Rod Brindamore is really good at adjusting mid-game and you could see the tweaks he made to his lines. Like 
the Domi, Teravine, and Trocek line was going against the kid line for the Rangers, and they were getting worked. Like, shot attempts, I think, were 9-1 to in the Rangers' favor with Domi on the ice. So very quickly, the third period, they came out with all new combinations, and you could see the jump in their step. The Rangers are very, very, very hesitant to change their lines. That was a problem all throughout round one when you could see a player like Frank Vetrano not being able to handle the Sidney Sydney Crosby line. So that's something that they're going to have to do too. And they didn't make a single adjustment in that third period. They didn't even change, you know, some of the rotation of the players they were deploying. You could see the fourth line, who does look a lot better at Tyler Mott, is getting more ice time than the kid line that scored the one goal and had the most chances too. And, you know, they had less ice time. So maybe they need to figure out how to make better in-game adjustments. But then again, they didn't for 82 games. I don't expect it now. The only adjustments we saw last round were what, you know, game six, third period and game seven, third period when their backs were against the wall. Sarah, it's funny because and you obviously follow the Canes much better, much more closely than I do. But, you know, my perception of Rod Brindamore is this is a guy who gets his teams up and ready to go. And there was a shot of him even before the game started where he was he was freaking ready. He was like literally vibrating on the bench. Does it surprise you that the Canes came out looking flat or do or is this something that has maybe been something the Canes do they start up they start down and it's just the way things go well I've had this conversation with him before what can you even do to get guys ready other than like he says he does the same speech in all different ways every game and it's like a speech sometimes can only do so much for a group of guys like I I think he's awesome and I think he's a great coach obviously like goes without saying and I think he's such a good players coach, but at the same time, there's only so much he can do if these guys' legs aren't under them. Like they, it's kind of on them, and they know that, and that's why they came out for the third. Um, I, they've actually had some bad starts, but they have had like some of the best third period comebacks. I mean, I know the Rangers have too, but like. The Canes have had really strong third periods and they kind of let their foot off the gas. And that happens. It's like scoring effects, as you know. Like it, it's like effects when you're already at the top of the Metro and you're tired and it's game 70. So it's kind of hard to tell like what is actually the deal there, but you find out in the playoffs. And Shana, you talked about how impressive the kid line is. I shat on them last episode. It was more about the entire team as a whole, not necessarily that line. They were so strong in this game, but. Are we still frustrated with the lack of contributions from all over the lineup? Is the kid line really the only bright spot with a little peppering of, of Mika? Goaltending, of course, aside. Yeah. You leave Kevin Rooney alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the kid line, like, they have, they have jump, and maybe it's because they don't play that much, so they have the energy that nobody else does. But, like, the Mika's advantage headline got shut down by Jordan Stahl, which was, like, the intention – all the way for Carolina. Obviously, like that's that's why they did the matchups that way. Panarin hasn't been, you know, his usual self that the Aho line is a better matchup and then you can take away Kreider and Zabanajad, two of the Rangers' best scoring threats by matching them up against, you know, Jordan Stahl and Jesper Faust, who obviously knows their game very well too. Um but but no, like it's they they need to figure out how to tweak the lines to get better combinations going if that's not going to happen. And I think the biggest thing is, like, Frank Vetrano is a very offensive player, but, like, maybe you do need someone with a little more defense. And that's why you could see the adjustments they made in game six and seven when they needed to were changing that player. That was putting Andrew Kopp there, and it was putting Tyler Mott there. So, but then the problem is if you take Tyler Mott off the fourth line, like, then what? Because he's the one player that really is 
giving that fourth line some life and, you know, we criticize, I criticize at least, you know, the fact that the fourth line gets a lot of offensive zone starts when they probably shouldn't. Um, but Mott's the kind of player that's actually helping them sustain zone time. And he looked really good last game. So it's a tough call when you don't have as maybe as much depth as you could want. But at a certain point, like, how do you get Zibanejad going? It's great to have the kid line going. You have to get Zibanejad going. And he came to play in game six and seven last series. But you have to do something because he's the he's the player that everyone's going to be matching up against, you know, at this point. If Panarin's not at his best, which he's not, then you have to get Zibanejad at his best. Because, like, I just don't know what the deal is with Panarin. Like, he, because it's, it's tough. I'm criticizing, yeah, I'm criticizing the guy that won the series for them in round one. But, like, is he 100%? I have, like, legitimate questions because there are some shifts you see him completely on playing his game and, you know, you can't take your eyes off of him with the puck on his stick. And there are some that it's like, is his shot a little bit off? Like, is it, it, it almost, I like, I, I hate speculating on a player's injury, but sometimes I look at a shot and I'm like, is it as hard as it could be? Like, does it look a little bit like weaker than usual? Like maybe that's why he's giving up more shots and set, you know, setting up his teammates. We know he's a pass first player, but there's just something there that doesn't seem hundred percent. So you have to get Savannah going like even more so. I have to say, and listen, I am a big fan of Tyler Mott the human. He's gone through a lot and he's been really awesome and open about it. But like the fact that Tyler Mott is like no, the hero I know. of this like the, as we love to say, that's good for Tyler Mott. That is yeah. bad for the Rangers. <laughs> yeah, no, because it's like it's finding they keep trying to find like defensive players to complement like the likes of Panarin. That was the whole thing in the beginning of the year. And Dryden Hunt couldn't be Jesper Foss. And Barkley Gaudreau couldn't be Jesper Foss. And like you've, you need that facilitator. And Andrew Kopp actually has two-way skill. But then on the top line, if they're going to get their asses kicked in the matchup game, like you have to find someone to do that for their line then and maybe put someone more offensive with Panarin because they're getting the softer matchups. Like it's, it's, it's a weird decision to make, but it's, it, you know, maybe – you could, I don't know, put Kakokako on that top line, but then you risk breaking up the one line that's actually doing things. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but it's not what they've been doing. Speaking of Faust, he led all skaters with eight hits, and that one hit kind of led to the Ajo goal. So that kind of showed eight hits, zero penalties. Speaking of penalties, there yep. was not a penalty in 40 minutes of that game. So I don't know what's up with that. I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Canes stay out of the box, and that's a huge matchup. We talked about the Canes' power kill all year, and, like, the Rangers have a great power play. The, the Hurricanes can always, like, out outkill their mistakes. I don't even fucking know the right phrase <laughs> for that. But they can, you know, they can, like, negate, the, you know, the penalties they take because of their power kill. And, like, you don't want to risk that against the Rangers' power play. They have yeah, a couple not, more Yeah, not in the playoffs. If the Bruins taught them anything, they need to stay out of the box. So clearly we have opinions on this series. All right, game two is coming up, still in Carolina, for game two. Sarah, your pick. Does Carolina get a second, or do the Rangers make enough adjustments to win? Yeah, Canes went at home. I, and again, I don't think this is going to be a sweep, but this was not nearly a shining performance for the Canes, so they're going to come out maybe more motivated, and if they have a performance even like 15% better than this, they're going to win. And it's just come out here, too, Shana, before I ask for your opinion, Gerard Gallant is one of the three finalists for the Jack Adams. It is perfect testament to a good goalie makes a great coach. Yes, so, exactly. Um, and I, listen, I like Turk. So, But yeah. Yeah. Shana, who wins game two, in your opinion? 
Uh, I'm going to say the Rangers win game two, but the Canes oh. win game three. I'm going to, like, draw from round one. But, like, with Gallant, the credit I'll give him, though, is, like, players like to play for him, and I think it's a lot of the shit that we're I'm talking shit about him for. Like, oh, he says he doesn't play the magic game, or, oh, he trusts his lines a lot. Players like that because their coach trusts them. But, like, his biggest flaw is that he trusts players too much sometimes, and you do have to know when to go, like, okay, this isn't working. Like, you know, there's something about being rigid. I mean, it's, it's the opposite of what the Rangers are dealing with. Phrasing. Yeah. Phrasing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving uh, on. Anyway. <laughs> oh, those, are, those, are, those are some picks for the... We'll talk about that next. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, so rounding out the four games to start off round two. This, this game was a journey, my friends. This game was a journey. Um, Carolina and the Rangers are still playing, and by the time you flipped over to the Battle of Alberta, it was 2 nothing Flames. Then within minutes, Mike Smith is pulled. It looks like the Flames are just going to roll. Long story short, this game ends in a 6-9. Nice! 6-9 <laughs> final with Calgary taking the win clearly fueled by a Matthew Kachuk hat trick including an empty netter and the egregious terrible disruptive asinine cheering on of his brother who plays for another NHL team but how dare he here we are there was so much in the Battle of Alberta I don't even know well there was everything except goaltending apparently (laughs) Sarah your take on game one Calgary. There's a lot to dis- <laughs> There's a lot to get into, so we're just gonna get into it immediately. Um, Mike Smith allowed the fewest goals of any goaltender, but he was pulled. To be fair, I just thought that was funny. Um, I don't know, like I, I thought that was rude of the coach to pull him that quick. Like you don't trust him at all. Come on, I know we, the rest of us don't, but Jesus. And then. <laughs> The, the discourse about Brady Kachuk. I know we can talk about the actual game, but I want to talk about the discourse around, for those who weren't watching or are not on Twitter, bless. But um, <laughs> people were mad that Brady Kachuk, captain of the Senators and $8 million man, um, went to his older brother's hockey game when his season was over, as if there's something he could have done to make the senator, like he did all he could to have the senators have a chance of making the playoffs. And now that they didn't, he and his dad, Keith, and his sister, and probably his mom, I didn't see her in any of the pictures, but I don't know, are wearing shirts that celebrate his brother. And some people on Twitter are taking a, have a problem with this. I don't know, do you have a brother? I would take any excuse to go to my brother's game and get hammered and wear fun shirts and steal the show. Like, come on. Well, and I appreciated this tweet that we got, we shared among ourselves before the show started. And this is from at Sludge Williams on Twitter, turning the Brady Kachuk discourse into yelling at Mark Stone and Brandon Tanev for not supporting their brothers. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was, I mean, Folks, literally, we're not, like, this is not, like, designing the next nuclear weapon. They're playing ice (laughs) hockey. It's a game. We're all supposed to have fun. Let the man have his own life, right? Like, it's not like he's out there saying, Ottawa sucks, trade me to Calgary, and I hate everything else. Like, please. And he would be in his right to do that. I mean, let's face it. (laughs) He deserves 
deserves some fucking he fun. Did. He's playing for the Ottawa Senators. At least Pierre <laughs> Maguire's no longer there. But let the man have some fucking fun. Season ends and he's like, I'm going. I'm getting out there. I'm fucking singing Mr. Brightside shit hammered. I'm going to the game. I'm carrying beers in my back fucking pocket. I'm sitting there. He's, like, he's yahooing. <laughs> he's yahooing. He's yahooing. He's having the most fun of all of us. And then everyone else is at home so fucking bitter he's having a good time. Shut the fuck up and let yeah. the man have fun. Like, I'm sorry the way you said it, though. Like, he's just going to support his brother. Listen. How exactly. dare he? How dare he? On the ice, Shayna. I mean, obviously, look at what a distraction. What a distraction Brady Kachuk has been that that takes over our analysis. That his brother got a hat yeah. trick. Not- <laughs> Can I ask you, would it... It, do, like, do you think that there is a line to cross? Because everyone's talking about it. He's wearing shirts that are saying, like, the Rat King and shit for his brother. It's not like the rest of his family, you know, wearing flame jerseys. Here, here's if the he, thing. Here's the thing. If you, like, he can support his brother, and I'm going to say the thing that is always part of this issue. Like, he is not dragging a cameraman around and posting 18,000 <laughs> things on yeah. social media. The media is finding him and bringing him into the spotlight. <laughs> how can you not? And, and how many times do we hear about, like, freaking every celebrity that's at a Rangers game or, you know, when Snoop shows up at the Kings game? Like, he is a, a known person, particularly in hockey. He's there. Find me a person who doesn't spend a hockey game for someone they care about for whatever reason the same freaking way Brady Kachuk did. Like, I Brady Kachuk is the Snoop Dogg of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, imagine, like, we know, like, Eli Manning supported Peyton Manning in his exactly. Super Bowl runs. Yes. And I'm sure Jordan Stahl was there and Mark Stahl for Eric Stahl's Cup and vice versa when Jordan won it. Like, we just didn't have Twitter then and maybe they weren't having as good of a time as Brady. Mm-hmm. The best was in the third period, they flashed to a fan who was, like, a ginger with no shirt standing up with jeans. And first of all, I'm like, is that fucking Brady Kachuk? But it was not. And if it was, I would have actually lost my mind. But, yeah, he's just wearing – it's not like he's wearing – do you want to be upset if you wore a flame jersey or an actual flame shirt? Like, I guess maybe you'd like, it's a li- that's a li- sure. Are you wearing merch? Like, if you must complain, sure. Okay, it'd be a little weird if he was wearing another NHL jersey. But he's wearing a fucking shirt that says the Rat King and he's just drinking some beers and having a good time and trying to get his parents' attention and he's not getting it because, you know. Okay, that was hilarious. For people who didn't see the last game, Brady Kachuk is literally like, has to knock on the shoulder of everyone in between he and his dad because his dad is like completely ignoring him trying to talk to him. It's hilarious. He's a middle child. This is how we are. And what do you guys think of Keith Kachuk not throwing his hat? He was like, I'm not doing this. Well, there was apparently a Thomas Drance of The Athletic put out a tweet that I found quite informative, which he shared with us. This is what he said is that um, later that as a man who is also bald, when you find a good hat, it's really, really important to keep hold of the good hat. So listen, not my area of expertise. I thought it was hilarious, but and also like this clearly wasn't the point, but like sometimes when it's an empty net goal, like I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't Maybe yeah, it's a lucky hat for the family now though too. Clearly, like, clearly. Yeah. Let's just rack up the reasons to be mad at the Kachuk yeah. family, obviously. Yes. But again, away from the stands, actually on the ice, Shayna, what did you take away from this game between Edmonton and Calgary? Well, like you said, like the coaches don't trust Mike Smith here. Like literally everybody does not trust this goalie tandem except for management. So the coaches don't, but management does. And I find it really just perfect because 
you know, all around one, Mike Smith was good. And I'm not going to, like, take away from him that he had a good first round. But, like, we knew this was going to happen. And I'm so fucking glad it did immediately. Like, I'm sorry. I just want to see chaos. And he didn't even have to handle the puck. He just sucked while sitting in that. Like, the first shot on goal, he allows in. And it's like, sorry, dude. That's 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 how this is going. Um Markstrom was shit too. Like let's let's be real here. He had a very easy workload. Maybe he forgot what it was like to face, you know, a a team with more than one line of offensive players, but this wasn't good and he wasn't tested that much, so maybe maybe that's why, but that was not a very good game for him. The Flames were actually good, you know, in front of him. Uh the chaos was wonderful. Um, Connor McDavid, I have a new theory, tweeted this last night. I no longer think that Connor McDavid, they want to support Connor McDavid. They want to make him the greatest player in the world. So they're going to make life as difficult as possible for him and see if he can overcome it because that's the true test of greatness. (laughs) It's no longer Connor McDavid. We want to get you a winger and we want to get you defenders and we want to get you goaltenders. No, no, no. It's Connor McDavid. How can you do it yourself? And he really did try and he was very good. And even, you know, Dreisaitl, who I think, what was it? A high ankle sprain was the report. He's like Mm -hmm. doing the most. But I want to talk about something else. I want to go back to Matthew Kachuk pissing off Evander Kane. Here it is. McDavid does the most to set up a goal to tie the game. Immediately, Miko Koskinen allows a goal back. I think it was within a minute and a half. There's a response goal. Exactly what you don't want to happen. Connor McDavid draws a penalty shortly after. You could have left it the fuck alone and let your team go on the advantage, which you're very good at doing. And instead, Evander Kane could not contain himself. And Matthew Kachuk knew exactly how to get under his skin, which is why we love him so much. Need some money. <laughs> like, that was, that was amazing. And so he goes to the box, Kane goes to the box, and Chillington goes to the box. And when Kane and Chillington are still in the box and that goal, Matthew Kachuk comes out and scores that goal, the reaction was so incredible that smug look as Kane is nonstop going while still in the box he could not shut the fuck up and control himself and it's just like you you couldn't ask for anything better to happen to a player like that like you could have gone on the power play shut up tried to tie the game swing momentum back but no you could not help your team I don't want to make fun of gambling issues, but I do want to make fun of Evander Kane. And um, he said, someone said, how much money did Evander bet on um, the Flames? That game, that joke did not land, but it landed on Twitter. I lost my train of thought. but It landed last night in the chat. It landed yes. last night in the chat. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's got to be better. He's got to be better. He got all these redemption arc stories, and (laughs) that's all he needed. Clearly redeemed. Um, Yes, well, this series certainly is chalking up to be perhaps the most entertaining of round two for a million reasons, and that's why we love it. Um, That is our take of game ones of round two. As always, we have to end every episode with a little fuck, Mary kill, my friends. And in honor of the Jack Adams finalists being announced today, we are going to fuck, Mary kill each of us as an NHL head coach. <laughs> so the options are Sarah, Shane, or Allison as an NHL head coach. Sarah, you are up first. Okay, I'm killing myself. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> would be a bad coach. I think I am bad at managing people. I would yell because I am disorganized. I, don't, I would get frustrated. Um, I think I'd be a good agent for those reasons, but I would not be good at calming people down. I would freak out. I would be like, I don't know, not good. I would 
Mary Allison, because I do think she is great at bringing the people together, staying organized, getting, explaining things in a great way. I would fuck Shayna because I think in a playoff run, I think she'd have like the fire to go. I think she'd fire us up in a good way. And we'd love to see that. Shayna, fuck, Mary kill each of us as an NHL head coach. Okay, I'm going to kill Sarah as an NHL head coach because of the way she explained it to us last night. Like, nobody wants that. But I would like to see Sarah as an assistant coach because I think if you have someone else screaming at everyone and you're just, like, focused on one thing, like, Sarah, make the defenseman go. I want to see that happen. Like, I want to see you take out the whiteboard and be yelling at everyone what to do. So I will marry you as an assistant head coach, though. So don't worry. I am going to fuck myself as a coach because I think I would look very nice in some paisley fits behind the bench. I love paisley. I have some satin paisley tops. No bullshit. I definitely have like five summer shirts that are paisley. I'm going to start breaking them out soon when it's over 80 degrees. So get ready for the fashion. So I would like to wear that behind the bench. And I think I I would just be chaos. I don't think I would last very long, but I would be chaos. Um, And I'm going to marry... The Miss Leadership Studies over here, Allison Lucan, the head coach, because I we talked about this earlier. I like to pump Allison's tires, and she makes it very. Thanks, Kona. She's snoring. She's very. She makes it very easy. I think like any head coach should want to hire Allison as a consultant, if not an assistant. Like, I personally think the assistant would be even better. But you know, if she's a consultant, then she gets to float around and do shit like this still. But to to go behind the bench and kind of like help instruct how to bring in data and ideas and not even like telling the coach data, but being like, here's a tactical adjustment you can make because this is what's going wrong. Like if anyone can do that, it's Allison. So I'd like to see her as a head coach. And I also think she would hire us as assistants. So I think that would be really fucking fun. Yeah, nepotism. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. To when it works for us, we'll friends. take it. Yeah, of course. It, it would, how very NHL of us. We would fit right in. <laughs> exactly. We're just like the men. Who knew? The old girls club. <laughs> all right i would marry yourself as the head coach come on just do it no no i don't want to i would actually marry shana as the head coach because shana has like this encyclopedic knowledge of every player in the nhl as well as how to play the game and so i think that that would allow her to give very specific adjustments and very specific instruction on how to tackle opponents, how to maximize players' strengths, how to optimize putting people together on lines. How to annoy the shit out of my players. Listen, have you seen the spectrum of NHL coaching that's currently present in the league right now? I think you'll be fine. So, it'll be fine. (laughs) I can go against mediocre coaches. Thank you. Also, listen, the bar is literally on the floor. Also, I would like to see your fits behind the bench. Um, I will... Honestly... Just for shits and giggles, I'm going to fuck shit Sarah as, the, as a coach because I just want to see it happen, right? Like, let's shake things up. I think that you are such a creative mind and you find the interesting, <laughs> you find the interesting ideas that no one else is paying attention to and you focus on them for all the right reasons and in the best way. So I think that it would be like team chaos in the right way. So let's just fuck around and have some fun with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you can then you can have an agency afterwards because now you know the players and all this thing on that level. Perfect. You've now been around the game. Hashtag. <laughs> and we're gonna kill you as head coach because you should actually be a general manager and not a head coach because you would do such a good job constructing a team and you should run things. Like I totally understand that. That's a great that's a great way to look at it, Allison. Oh my God. 
What is with you today? No more you early mornings for you, Shayna. No more early mornings for you, Shayna. I know. I'm running on like three hours of sleep here. Like, can you see my bags? Like, that's it. I'm done here. But no, you pump our fucking tires. We're doing it back to you. Okay. Okay, Fair. finish your kill. Sorry. Well, no, I would. I, it, 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 the moment is gone. Yes, I would kill myself as head coach. All right. Um, that is it for this episode of Too Many Men. We're going to be back at you tomorrow with a bit o news and some other fun topics, looking at some league-wide storylines and what's going on. We will also, very important, have an update on the Yeehaw Yahoo controversy that is sweeping the Too Many Men Twitterverse. Very excited to discuss that more. But in the meantime, we hope that you all stay well, enjoy this wonderful hockey that we're taking in. Follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. Check out our website at toomanymenpod.com where you can see all of our latest merch, including holders for your favorite beverage of choice. And until we speak again, be good to each other. Love you. Bye.